You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. Awesome time of worship this morning. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and just give our time now of what we've just experienced in worship, but also what we're going to experience in the Word of God to God and ask that God fill us with this Holy Spirit that we hear and understand. Father, the things we've just finished singing to you are absolutely true, God. We know them from our, in our heads. We believe them in our hearts, God, that you are high above all, that you are holy, that all glory and honor are yours. Thank you, Father, this morning for saving us, for taking us from our sinful selves into the glorious light of Jesus, putting on us clothes of righteousness. Thank you, Father, for sustaining us constantly. You haven't just saved us, God. You sustain us day in and day out, week in and week out, our Savior is our sustainer. Thank you, Jesus, for getting us through another week and putting us in a place where we're once again lifting our eyes to the heavens with a body of believers. Thank you, God, that your promise in your word is absolutely true, that you've already glorified us, past tense already done, that we are already declared as going to be with you forever as your children. Thank you, Father, for these truths which astound us God, this is what causes us to worship you this morning. This is what causes us to come to your word and to long for what you say in your word to be true in our lives, the reality of who you are, what you have done, what you are doing, and what you're going to do. So God, as we open up your word this morning, would you grab our hearts, engage our minds, and show us a glimpse more, God, of who you are and what you want for us and through us in Jesus Christ. Speak now, Lord. Your children are listening in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Welcome here this morning. Glad you've joined us for worship. You can turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, we're going to bite off a chunk today, verses 1 to 23. And I encourage you to follow along. If you don't have your Bibles, if you didn't bring your Bibles morning, please put your hand up. And one of our ushers will give you a copy of God's Word. We want you to follow along and to know uh, from God what he says today. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take it home with you. This is our gift to you today. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. And uh, as you get there, I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever, ever been oversold something only to receive it and be so disappointed? because it under it under delivers ever been there oversold under delivered you know like your friends talking about a restaurant so you give up your date night regular restaurant go to that restaurant like this is gonna be awesome it's gonna be awesome you get there like ugh we should have gone to McDonald's well maybe not McDonald's should have gone to the regular place. Oversold, underdelivered, or or what about this one? You see this product on TV and you just have to have it. It's gonna change your life, and you finally get that nonstick frying pan that's gonna change your life forever. Never done this, of course, ever only to get it, and it's much smaller than it looks like, and the first thing you put in, it sticks to it like glue, and you're like, this product, I'll use the word stinks, all oversold, underdelivered. You order it from Amazon, right, and the picture looks fantastic. You get it from Amazon, and you rip it open, you're like, is this the same sweater that I ordered you, honey? It doesn't look the same. It doesn't feel what I thought it would feel, and you put it right back in the box, and you package it up and send it back as quick as you got it. Ever been there? Oversold, underdelivered? You know that disappointment you get? That like, ah, that this stinks. Ever also, maybe on the flip side of that, an oversold and underdelivered something to somebody else, maybe even God, about who you are and about maybe painting a different picture than what's on the, on the outside than what's on the inside and giving all these advertisements or commercials for who you really are, but knowing deep down that you are not at all what you advertise or what the commercial sells. Have you ever done that before others and before God? You know, I think we all have, right? Oversold, underdelivered in our Christian faith and talking the big game and looking all good on the outside and on the inside. We know we're nothing like the outside. You know what God, how God responds to that oversell, underdelivered Christianity or faith? The same way you respond when you're oversold something and it comes underdelivered. Ugh. For real? This is disappointing. How do I know that? Because this text in Matthew chapter 7 is really all about what God desires for our true religious selves. And so often in our days and day and age, in our culture, we can make religious anything 
about everything but what God desires it to be about. And in fact, we can, we can stray far from what God designed our religious experience or relationship with him to be like. And so Jesus really calls it out here in Mark chapter 7. In fact, in fact, the reality is this is one of Jesus' first dialogues of great length in the book of Mark. We've seen a lot about what he does and about who he is, but here's what he teaches us. The first thing he comes to teach us is what true religion really is. And he tells us so clearly this passage, it's got nothing to do with what's on the outside predominantly, but it starts with what's on the inside. And if we're living out a faith that is outside focused and not matching the inner reality, we're missing the mark of true religion. God cares more about, we get this right, what's on the inside than the outside. And so listen with me as Jesus in his own words, unpacks some of these things as we track with who he is and what he's all about, what he looks for in us. Uh, Traditions and commandments, it says in Mark 7, verse 1. Now listen to this. Now when the Pharisees gathered uh, to him with some some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, in case you don't know what defiled is, unwashed. Verse 3, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the, notice this, tradition of the elders. That's an important term. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he, being Jesus, said to him, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles his father and mother must surely die. Sit up and take notice of that, kids. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making the void, the word of God, by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said this, hear me all of you and understand there is nothing outside a person that is going into him that can defile him, but things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him for it enters not into his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him, for for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And all these things come from within, and they defile a person. This is... The word of the Lord. And if God's word already doesn't have you paying attention, I'm not sure there's much else I can do to like grab your attention this morning because this is a powerful reminder of the importance of true introspection in our lives and true religion before God. God cares more about what's on the inside than the outside. Let me put it to you in different words. We're just gonna unpack this section by section. Uh, Point number one is my outward religion doesn't matter at all if my inward being remains unchanged. My outward religion doesn't matter at all when iota doesn't matter, make two cents if my inward being remains unchanged. Check out verses one to seven with me this morning. Here's what's happening in this, this context. The, the Pharisees, again, are on this journey to somehow find Jesus and accuse him of something. Remember, they've already accused him of, of eating with the wrong people, sinners and tax collectors. They've accused him of healing on the Sabbath and trying to get him under the, the law, right? And the law of the Sabbath. Now they're trying to get him under the moral traditions, the traditions of the elders and the Jewish tradition. And so what they do is they make this trek from Jerusalem, it says here, to Capernaum. And notice this isn't a small journey. They were like, they had it out for him. This is like a political smear campaign, and it was going 
a while. So they journeyed for, for 90 miles, also from here to Ajax, not in their Ferraris or beat up jalopies, you know, by foot, by horse. It's a long, they're, they're intensely trying to find ways to trip up Jesus. Just get that, right? And so they get there, and so instead of going right for Jesus' jugular, they've tried that before and fallen short, remember? They're learning some lessons, the Pharisees. They're a little smarter than the disciples sometimes. So instead of going for Jesus, they go for his disciples. And they, they get there, and, and they start accusing them of, of not washing their hands before dinner. Like, what are you, my mom? Right? Does Jesus care that deeply about washing your hands before dinner? Is that in the word of God? And they go after them like, you're not washing your hands before dinner. You're not like coming in and, and taking a bath after you're out in the marketplace. And, and what's going on here? These other traditions that they observe. Notice it's traditions. They're not going after the, for disobeying the word of God. Jesus also always said when the word of God, when they're debating the word of God, he's like, it is written with tradition. He said that you may have heard it's been said before. This is the oral tradition of the elders. And so they're like making, the elders of the Jewish church were good at this. They, were, they like to dialogue about the laws. They like to write policies around the laws. And they like to enforce their own ideas as if they were the law. And so nowhere in Scripture does Jesus say we have to wash before meals. That's smart. And your mom says it's right. You don't want germs at the table. But nowhere did God command us to wash before eating. In fact, the only commandments God gave in the Old Testament were ceremonial cleansing laws uh, for the priests. Before they went into the Holy of Holies, before they uh, handled sacrifices, Leviticus 22 made it very clear that they had to ceremonially, ceremonially cleanse themselves and make sure that they weren't working with defiled hands before the holy things of God. But nowhere in Scripture does it say that you have to to wash your hands before dinner. Good advice, not a commandment of God. And so what the Pharisees would do, they'd build all these laws around. They'd build all these laws around the law. And so they said, well, you know, God said this, but let's take it a step further. Let's say you have to wash your hands before dinner and in between courses up to your elbows. This is part of the, the Jewish tradition, up to your elbows, just to make sure when you came in from like the marketplace, like like shower off all that contamination from the outside world and living all these external things that Jesus is looking at. I'm like, man, you guys maybe are more germaphobe than anything because these aren't the commands of God. In fact, Jesus broke all of these rules in Luke chapter eleven thirty seven. 37. He didn't wash his hands before dinner and all the things that the tradition said they should. And he's really making a point by doing that. He's not saying that, you know, it's not good if you don't wash your hands. He's, he's trying to make a point. The spiritual point is, is simply this, is, is stop worrying about spiritually the outside and outward cleansing when totally ignoring the inner cleansing that's so desperately needed in our lives. So the Pharisees running around like they were part of the Jewish people who, you know, what's, what's the people who in, in, our, in Canada, they go and inspect places, the Jewish inspection agency, they're running around like this, but doing it for the soul. And so Jesus says this in verse 6, which really strikes a chord with us. Because let's be honest, it's so easy to be Pharisees, and even in our day and age, right? We're so easy to be running around looking at what everyone else is doing wrong and walking into a room and in the name of discernment, noticing like, wow, you're not living up to what we think you should, and you're not living up to what we think we should. And what's the inner Pharisee do? Finds everything wrong with everybody else, forgets about what's wrong with them on the inside. And so Jesus just calls it out. I love it. Jesus just calls it out. Look what he says. The people honors me. He's quoting Isaiah with their lips. He's like, you, you hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied about hypocrites like you who are going to honor me with their lips, but in their heart be far from me. In vain, useless worship, do they worship me? Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And Jesus is like, really, really? You're worried about my disciples eating? With unclean hands and yet in your souls you're running around as judgmental, holier than thou, tradition focused lifestyle, and you think somehow you have the right to come in here and judge people's hearts, you hypocrites? We don't like that word a lot, do we? Hypocrite. It's one of like the daggers of the Christian faith. Notice, Jesus is saying this to religious people. Call me anything, but please don't call me a hypocrite, right? 
attacking the very core of who I am. Hypocrite, here's what it means. It means compound word in the original language. It means under, hypo, under, a crino, to judge. It means to give judgment from behind a screen or mask. In other words, hide my true identity so that I can then feel more superior than I really am and, and rain down judgment on you. It's, it's one of those people that, that, that has all these masks behind their back, right? And no matter where you are, you put a mask on. You put a mask on when you come to church and then you put a mask on somewhere else. And really, they're good actors, hypocrites. They're good actors are like the spiritual Jason Bourne, you know, the Bourne Identity movies where they have all these passports so that wherever they are, they can pretend that they fit right in, and, and yet their true identity is always hidden. That's the Pharisees, right? They remember, Jesus, every time he gets close to the heart, they're like, no, no, I got some rules here, or I got some traditions here. Don't get to the heart. It's making me uncomfortable. Hypocrite. Jesus is calling them out. He's like, don't be like that. Don't honor me with your lips. But in your heart, be far from me. Don't have your lips flapping and your heart flatlining. Don't be bringing the worship in here where it's all like, meanwhile, knowing that there's nothing going on on the inside. Don't be talking the big game like you have all the spiritual realities going down and, and you've got all the scriptures figured out and everyone else, you've got lessons to teach. Be bringing that in my face, Jesus is saying, especially when your heart is so easily deceived and literally farther from me than the sinners and tax collectors that you actually accuse me of doing wrong by eating with. Get that out of here. If that's what you're doing and you're lifestyle is all about exterior and about in, not about interior, then in vain do you worship me. You might give yourself a gold star. Jesus has given you an F. If that's the reality of what you're living today. Teaching as doctrines and commandments of men. In other words, like here's what I appreciate and here's what I think is right. What about the scripture says? Well, who cares about the scripture? Here's what I Man, it's getting pretty close to the heart already, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I can sometimes be the biggest hypocrite I know. All the answers for everybody else. Smug in my little position. You guys call me pastor. Walking in a room and find everything wrong with everybody else. And yet the Holy Spirit gives you a little nudge sometimes, like, stop it, knock it off. The Holy Spirit misses it, my wife catches it. I'm doubly blessed. Problem is, we don't stop and think about hypocrite about me, we think about it as everybody else. It's just good worthy of a stop right here, right now, in light of all this, and just to ask the question, am I like the Pharisees, or am I truly like the ones who really desire to follow Jesus Christ? Has my faith become, I've become so accustomed to my faith, and I know all the right things to say, and how to say it, and the right face to put on, and has my faith become that, and my inside is like 100 miles behind my outside? Or am I truly living Mask down, open heart, real before God and before others, that my worship and my life is, is not useless, it's not in vain, but when God sees me, he actually smiles upon me, and my life is actually a sweet aroma in his nostrils, a sweet, a sweet uh, picture to his eyes, a sweet sound in his ears, rather than the opposite of what the Pharisees are selling, but not delivering. Let's be honest, hypocrisy is not limited to Jerusalem, it's so present in Christendom today. John MacArthur says this, empty ceremonies, superficial worship, errant doctrines, indifferent prayers, legalistic moralism. Let me add this, somehow carrying around this air of you've got it and nobody else does. 
We often talk about how Jesus was so bold and Jesus was so bold and we got to be bold like Jesus. You know where Jesus was the most bold in scriptures? It wasn't necessarily out with the sinners. You know where it was? It was in with the saints. I'm going to be so bold. I'm going to rip everyone apart out there. Jesus was most bold with those who knew better and who were affected by Jesus and should have been affected more by Jesus than he was with those outside the church. In fact, in, in Luke, or sorry, Matthew chapter 23, Jesus gives seven woes to the Pharisees or the religious leaders of the day. And, and it wasn't a woe as in like, whoa, slow down, horsey. It was like a woe, like judgment upon you. Condemnation, regret, sorrow. Because the act of spiritually putting on a show and living by tradition, not by the commandment of God, is actually drawing people further away from God rather than closer to God. So just let me pick out two of the woes he gave the Pharisees. Verse 25 of Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you, here it is again, hypocrites. See that word? It's throughout Scripture, but it's not talking about people outside the church. They don't know any better. You can't expect them to live like Christians. You hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Have you ever gone to the dishwasher before and you're, in your haste you just kind of threw cups in and so you pull it out and you're putting it away and then you pull out a cup from the thing and you're like, oh, how did this get missed? I actually caught Maya filling one of those cups last week and I'm like, put the cup down. But it's clean. It's not clean. Look on the inside. How indicative of how we can live as Christians sometimes. All sparkly and shiny. Ugh. Did you pick up that cup? Here's another one. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites again. You are like whitewashed tombs which appear outwardly beautiful, but don't forget within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear religious to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Let me stop and ask you this morning before we move on, because this is an important text that God gives us to this and gives this to us in love, don't forget. It's not like you came to church to be bashed this morning. God gives it to us in love that we might truly see the reality of our hearts, that we could repent and that he could scrub our inside as, as clean as the outside looks. He could take that cup and he could wash all that grime. You know, what do you, who would touch that cup? Uh, who, would, who would want to clean it? Jesus wants that cup. Not to throw it out, but to come in and allow you to truly be cleansed on the inside of all the grime and all the hypocrisy that you truly be blameless outside and inside before God. That, my friends, is true religion. And so we have to care about it. Well, I don't like this message. Yeah, me, me neither. But we love this message. Because Jesus gives it to us in love that we might stop. And, and maybe you're in a, here and you have a mask on this morning. And you know you got the mask on. You got a couple more in your back pocket for out in the foyer after. How exhausting is that? How empty is that? And so you can come in here and you can finally just take those masks out. And you can put them on the floor underneath your seat. And you can say, God, take these masks. I can't do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. I want to be done. I just want to be real before you. I want to be real before others. And be set free from the hypocrisy that no one else knows about but you and I. You might smile to yourself thinking that you're doing super well on the outside, but Jesus might be frowning this morning. You might think you're hitting the target because you can do all the right things. Jesus might think that you're missing the mark because it's the inside that matters so much more than the outside. Like the people that tell you they love you, and you know it's just a Christian thing to say, love you. And you're like, really? It means nothing. Or the people that are nice to your face, but you know that as soon as you leave the room, they're going to talk about you behind your back. Hypocrisy. Jesus wants it exposed today, that you can be cleansed today. Here's the second point about true religion. Here's the second point about true religion that we see in this text. 
God desires that I elevate his commandments over my traditions. God desires that I elevate his commandments over my traditions or my ideas or my laws around the laws that I've set up for myself and others that I can't live up to and no one else can. This is what the Jewish Pharisees were doing. Look at verse 8. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And so sometimes we are just like, just like the Pharisees. We've grown up in church. We've come into this cultural Christianity. We know all the right things to say and do. And, and somehow we think we're living out an authentic faith, but we leave behind the true commandments of God thinking that the way that... that that my parents taught me or the way I grew up doing church, that's the right way. And we've forgotten to study the word of God and find out what his commandments really say. We live by tradition rather than conviction of the word of God. Scribes and Pharisees were like this. I like, I think, I desire. I think I know what Jesus likes instead of what Jesus likes, what he desires, what he thinks. In essence, they end up following themselves and not God at all. Case in point where people in this time, this day and age, that rejected God's teaching and somehow tried to still pacify themselves into thinking that they were spiritual. Take, for example, here the illustration he gives right in the text. Verse 9, he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God. And you're like, Oh, really? Well, prove it, Jesus. Where well, am I rejecting the commandments of God? Oh, you want me to prove it? Jesus is good at proving things, just so you know. So don't ever ask him to prove it, he'll do it. Rejected the commandments of God in order to establish your own tradition. For Moses said, this is again the, the law of God said, honor your father and mother. You remember that phrase, right? It's in the Ten Commandments. This is one of those things that are non-negotiable, right? Honor your mother and your father. That's in Leviticus 20, 12, 21, 17. So highly important was this command of God that there was other commands around it. The 21, 17 verse comes in that, that God said he holds this commandment so high in his heart that whoever reviles his father and mother must surely die. Doesn't say get a spanking. Doesn't say get a grounding. Must surely die. They didn't really do that, did they? Mm-hmm. Why? Because God said so. Got to pause here for a minute because this is this is one that we've just totally this honor your father and mother thing like we've just thrown that out the window in our day and age. Even since I was a kid, man, like you talk back to your mom and dad when you're a kid, other people are telling you to stop talking. Now you can say anything you want to your parents, and you can treat them however you want. Somehow you think it's okay. It's just not okay before God. I'm not advocating for like death by stoning as they did back then. I'm going to put you outside of the camp and dig a hole and bury you. That's not what I'm saying. But this whole idea to honor your father and mother still carries through to the New Testament, children. Just so you know. The way parent, kids talk to their parents nowadays, well, I can't believe it. In fact, at soccer a few years ago, I asked this little kid to stop talking to his mom like that, and he cussed me out, like six years old. And I was like, okay, I'll walk away now. I don't know what to do with this. I just want you as kids to realize this before we get to the real meaning of what's going on here is um, when God says honor your father and mother, he really means honor your father and mother. If you're living in your parents' house, you need to honor your mom and dad. Treat them with respect. Love them. Obey them. Trust that they know better than you know. I'm talking to the students right now. Because no one's going to tell you this. But it's actually a way you honor God. In fact, honor your father and mother in the Bible goes beyond just like being nice to them when you're in their, under their roof. It goes to 1 Timothy 5.8 where it says, you know, if you don't take care of your own household then you're really worse than an unbeliever. In other words, back in this day, honor your father and mother, they knew what it meant. It meant all the way till they die. And so you look after your parents. You don't stuff them somewhere where someone else can laugh. You look after your parents. That's how you honor God. You don't look after your parents until they die. They looked after you for the first 20 years, right, and gave you so much. You don't look after them until the day they die. And it's worse than an unbeliever, it says in 1 Timothy. This is a big deal. It's a big commandment to God. And, and so what was happening in this day and age, um, the, the, the Jewish people under tradition were trying to figure out how to get out of caring for their parents until the day they die, because that's a lot of work. And it's inconvenient. So they, they made this little, uh, this little tradition around it. Well, actually, what it really means is that, is that all my stuff is Corbin or given to God. So when it says to honor your mom and dad, look after until they die, well, it really doesn't mean that. As long as I can dedicate my, my, my stuff dedicated to God ultimately, and maybe to you second, and so as long I give to the temple and I honor God with my stuff, then I can negate the command to honor my father and mother. And so under this guise of super spirituality, they're actually missing out on what God called them to. And the priests 
The Jewish time were like televangelists, like give to the church. Don't care about your parents. Give to the church. Give to the church. That's how you really honor God. And so in the name of Corbin, the actual, that means is dedicated to God. So in the name of Corbin, the, the, the Jewish people would, under tradition, not God's commands, they would, they would even have a lot of resources. And they say, well, I'm not going to give it to my parents because it's all committed to God. So I'm going to keep building my stuff, building my stuff. But I'm giving some to God. It's okay. I'm building my stuff. And meanwhile, in the name of Corbin, their parents are actually over there in the corner, shriveling up and sometimes dying, almost like murder in the name of dedication to God. Jesus is like, that, my friends, is backwards. And it's wrong. It's completely wrong. Finding spiritual loopholes to avoid truly following the word of God. True religion isn't looking for loopholes. It's not looking for ways around the commands of God. It's, this is what God says. This is what I believe. And I will the best of my ability to Jesus help live it. And, and yet, so often, I think we can have good intentions, but we can live religion by tradition instead of religion by the word of God, as the Pharisees were doing. We're just as prone to this today. Religion by tradition instead of religion by the word of God. You ever said this before? Well, this is the way we've always done it. Why do you do that, Dad? Well, this is the way we've always done it. Or this is the way my church did it. This is the way my grandmother taught me. And so this is the way you do it. This is the way you honor God. And somehow, again, believing that we can substitute our own viewpoint or make little tweaks to God's word to, to, to be somehow spiritual and still follow the Lord. It's just untrue. What about this one? Have you ever heard this one before? But it's meaningful to me. Come to church, and you're like, this is the way church has to be done. And well, it's meaningful to me. Well, show me the word of God. Well, I can find any verse to try and back myself up in a little twist of the verses that I like the most. And well, it's meaningful to me. And show me in scripture. Well, I can't really, but this verse sort of says it. And if you really look hard enough into the Greek and Hebrew, which anyone can twist anything to make it say anything you want. Maybe your traditions are more important than what God really says. What about this one? Well, I know the Bible says, but I choose to think of it in this way. Well, it's only one place. There's three other places that kind of back me up over here. Does anyone really live like that anymore anyways? I don't know. I teach their own. I know what it says, but here's what he really means. Religion by tradition. Instead of the word of God. Easy to fall into this. You know why? Because it's so easier to live that way than actually live out the commands of the Lord. Give my own vantage point of what God really said or really means or really thinks. When you look at it in black and white, you're like, but it says, and you, but, but, but. And everyone else is looking at your life. You don't see it because you're so spiritual and holy. Everyone else is looking at your life and like, your traditions are great, but what about the rest of your life? All this disjointed, which we all fall into. Instead, what Jesus says is the true religion is actually following the commandments of God. It's an obedience to the word of God by the blood of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus at the heart of it, but true religion is actually this book right here. It's plain and simple, this book. It's not a moral legalism. This is the commandments God gave us over 1,050 in the New Testament. For you, those of you who don't think Old Testament's all commandments, New Testament's just grace. No, New Testament's just grace. It's just say, love Jesus. The New Testament has over a thousand commands. It's God showing us what true religion is. And live like this, and you'll find the heart of God. You'll find the blessing of Jesus. And live like this. Delight in the word of God. This is true religion. We delight in the word of God. As Psalm 119, 103 says in Psalm 40, verse 8. Like, I, I love the word of God. I'm, I, I delight in the word of God. I want the commandments of God because they add blessing to my life. They add, they add direction to my life. They add fullness to my life. It's devouring the word of God, as Jeremiah 15 says. Interesting how we can do Christianity, do church without the word of God. It sits on the shelf all week and we think we're somehow being spiritual. Come on. I don't just delight in it. I devour it. Every word of it. The easy passages, the hard passages. It's the word of God. I crave it like you crave um, a late night snack, whatever that might be for you. I just crave the word of God. The spirit does that in us. As Jeremiah says, I 
long for the word and I devour, not like rip it up and devour it, but like my soul like sponges it up. And then as James 1.21 says, I digest the word, not just quickly in my ear and out the other so I can spew some verses to somebody else and tell them what they are doing and not doing right. But I take time to memorize the word and meditate on the word so the word goes somehow from the caverns of my mind to the depths of my soul. James 1.21 says this, the, the word of God causes us to, to want to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. It doesn't always save souls. It's around whether we digest it or not. And then we want to be driven by the word of God, Isaiah 30, verse 21, to listen to God's voice and determine that this is the way, walk in it, and allow the word to govern our lives. question this morning is God's word truly governing your life or are you doing all the right things that the cultural Christians tell you to do without ever getting the word of God allowing God's word to like to, 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 to delight in it and to, and to devour it and digest it and to drive your life the way that God wants you to go the way that, that not your, your, your best friend wants you to go but the way that God wants you to go this is true religion are you really getting fired up for the things that God cares about? Or are there only little pet peeves and pet things that you've made like way up here? Let me give you an example so no one accuse me of anything, but let the words seep into your heart. You really don't care about what's right here. Elevating certain things that maybe aren't even as a big deal to God as they maybe are to you and Just a warning, true religion is not tradition. I grew up with a lot of traditions, to be honest, in the church I grew up in. For a while, I threw out all the traditions. That's wrong, too, right? A lot of good traditions I grew up in. My parents taught me a lot of good things. Some things that I had my eyebrow up as a teenager, like, is that really the word of God? I realized it is the word of God. I was just a stubborn, rebellious teenager. I know you wouldn't expect that, but it's true. Other things that I'm like, you get older, start studying the scriptures, like, why did we... That doesn't make any sense. The way I live my life and don't go to certain places and you can't go to the movie theater, you can't go to the pool hall, all those things, you're like, is that biblical? I mean, or is that like just tradition? You know, the things you do in church and the way churches run. And I propose, brothers and sisters, we've got to get back to the word of God in an intense way. Before we spout out what we think, get to the word of God and see what God says. And again, don't just take one text that seems to back up what I say and ignore all the other 30 texts that say other things too, right? Because there's balance in the word of God. There's a big picture in the word of God. There's freedom in the word of God to major on majors and minor on minors. But the word of God has to drive us more than tradition. Tradition's not bad. There's great traditions handed down. Jesus gave us tradition, but it's a word of God. That's what sets God's people apart is Jesus and his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Commandments over tradition, convictions over tradition. True religion. Here's the last one of true religion. Jesus delights in soul transformation that leads to behavior modification. Jesus delights in soul transformation that leads to behavior modification. I might have even said it myself, and I've heard other people say this, and um, I think right intentions, but wrong, wrong understanding fully. And we've heard this. We're, we're about soul transformation, not behavior modification. Heard that before? We're about soul transformation, not behavior modification. Well, the reality is Jesus is about soul transformation that leads to behavior modification. That's true religion. It's both end. My soul's changed, man. My inside's changed. My outside is going to change as well. And Jesus longs for us not just to say all the right things and, and have all these traditions around us, but to, to, to know God and know Christ in a way that changes not just the inside, but everything else changes too. Look what Jesus says in verse, um, verse 14. So all this is going on there critiquing the washing habits of his disciples, and he's given some pretty bold statements here to the people who are supposed to be the most spiritual. And then he calls them all together. He's like, gather around, guys. i got more to say on this. Gather around. He called all the people to him. He said this, hear me, all of you, and understand. And so when he, Jesus says, you know, if your parents ever said to you when you were young, like, you know, like, listen to me. 
Come on, stop goofing off. You need to listen to me right now. This is what Jesus said. I don't think he's yelling at this point. I don't think he's like coming out with a hammer. But you ever had someone say something to you even softly that you take as harsh because it's just cutting to the heart? And they're gentle and they're loving, and yet somehow you leave that conversation, you go, they were so mean, they were so harsh. And your friend's looking at it like, no, they weren't. They were super gentle. They're just mean and harsh. It comes across to you because it's like, bam, straight to the soul. That's what's happening here in this context. I'm sure the Pharisees are like, stop yelling at me, Jesus. He's like, I'm not yelling. I'm teaching you a lesson now. Hopefully you don't mistake my enthusiasm for yelling. I'm not yelling at you. I'm trying to teach you the same things that I've learned and growing from this week. Look what he says in verse 15. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defiles him. You can use your own imagination. He's talking about food. You know what goes in and what comes out, right? Do I have to explain that to you this morning? What goes in doesn't defile you. What comes out sure does. Tracking? Hopefully. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said this, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not know? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him so it does not enter into his heart? The heart being the very nature of your being, your, your mind and your intellect and your emotions and your soul. But into his stomach is an expelled. So food, he's, he's basically saying this, this food stuff and all these washing things, it's not, it's not unclean hands that's going to defile you. In fact, in fact, I've declared all foods clean. And so in Acts 10, when Peter had that vision. Jesus is like, it's not the food anymore that's going to defile you. It's what's on the inside. And that's why we eat pork. Amen to anyone? Pork and bacon? <laughs> Shrimp rings, we like those, right? Well, how come we don't follow those anymore? Because Jesus declared all those things clean in Acts 10. It's not the outside that defiles you. Your food goes in, it sits there for a little bit. Chinese food, not so long. <laughs> and then it's gone. It's just here and gone. It doesn't defile you. What's inside your heart is what makes you unclean before God. Food's not the issue. Laws aren't the issue because we can put laws around anything. Does that change hearts? I can mandate anything. It's not going to change anyone's heart. I do it at my home all the time. You're mandated to do this, kids. And does that change anything sometimes? I wish you could. Grab that little heart, massage it the way you want to. It's not laws. It's not traditions, it's Jesus came to actually grab a hold of our souls and change us from the inside out. Jesus was in a big long list here. Talk about what comes out of a person, again, what comes out of a person in a spiritual sense is just as gross as what comes out of a person in a physical sense. For from within, out of the heart, this is what defiles someone, come evil thoughts, those, like, those, those, those thoughts of jealousy and revenge and manipulation, sexual immorality. Well, as long as I don't go over this line, I'm okay. No, no, no. Like, like, like how you think about the opposite sex and how you treat the opposite sex and Sexual immorality, porn and lust and everything. Theft, what's theft? It's like, I think I want, and so I'm going to take what they have because I deserve it. Murder, you inconvenience my life in such a way that I'm going to eliminate you now. Adultery, I know I've made my vows, but I'm going to take anyways because it satisfies my own desires. Coveting, not satisfied with what I have. They have what I want, and so I'm going to desire what they, it could be anything, you can covet anything, you can covet anything. Wickedness, that just covers it all, right? Those evil little things that pop in in our hearts. Deceit, well, I'm going to, again, maybe living like a Pharisee and pretend I'm better on the outside than I am the inside. I'm going to say what people want to hear. I'm a master deceiver, and people really don't know if what I say is true or not. I think sensuality, this is just feeding the senses and the, the pleasures of the natural self and envy. Slander, talking bad about others, even if it's in the name of a prayer request or in the name of like, I'm just trying to be discerning. Pride, thinking of myself better than I ought. Foolishness, every one of us falls into this, even no matter how old you are. That pretty much covers today, that list. Jesus is pretty all-consuming in his list. Covers in such a sense that every one of us, if we take time to look at that list and think about it, man, there's something in there about me. If you're not thinking that this morning, you can fall in that Pharisee category pretty quick. All these evil things come from within, and that's what defiles a person. It's those unguarded and unchecked attitudes of the heart that either condemn us if we're not a believer or lead us to God's discipline if we are saved. 
And why does God discipline us? Because he loves us and refuses to allow us to walk into our own sinful shame, the pit of our sinful shame, and he longs for us to be on his path of righteousness. You can go to all the self-help groups you can find about all these issues, and you know what you'll find? It doesn't change a thing. Why? Because true religion is coming to Jesus with all of these things and saying, God, I can't do it on my own. I am actually wicked. I am a sinner. And oh my goodness, do I need a savior? My heart is like that cup. It's dirty. It's dark. I mean, I want it to be clean. I long for it to be clean, but I can't make it clean. Even studying the Bible, following all the rules, the way I know how, it still doesn't make my heart clean. Only Jesus can. And that's why he died on the cross to save sinners like you and I. Not to expose, it's to say get out of here and throw you in the trash, but to bring you near him that he can take that heart and he can make it clean once and for all. He can make our hearts clean. That's the gospel. That's the point of true religion. He wants broken, fallen sinners to realize that I am a sinner, I am a Pharisee, and I need Jesus Christ more than anybody and anything else. If I have Jesus, I find true religion in Jesus Christ. That's the heart of the gospel. And he accepts your heart, however it is, if you're willing to give it to him in faith and repentance. He accepts your heart no matter how far off the path you've walked, whether it's sin or Pharisee, or Pharisee or becoming a Pharisee. He longs for your heart to come back to him. But how does that come back to him? Not by pretending that I don't have everything all figured out, but by, by faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. He longs for a gospel-cleansed heart that is the opposite of all these things. Yes, we're going to still have remnants of this in our hearts because we are totally depraved. We have sin that's affected every part of our being, but the gospel also touches every part of those things in our lives and changes us slowly from one degree of glory to another in all these realities. But you no longer have to walk in evil thoughts but pure thoughts. Not immorality, but purity. Not theft, but being content. Not murder, but love. Not adultery, but loving your spouse or, your, or saving yourself for your spouse. Not coveting, but being thankful. Not wickedness or deceit, but telling the truth and not having to indulge every sensuality because I have something greater in Jesus Christ and even indulging my sensuality and not, not envying others or slandering others. I can build people up because I'm secure in Jesus and my pride can be done with because now I find glory and humility and I don't have to walk in foolishness anymore. I can walk in the light of Jesus. God longs for a gospel-changed heart that comes to him and has our souls moved by salvation over being unfazed by the reality of Jesus. That moves us to a place of worshiping with everything within me over just grooving to the beat on Sunday morning. That, ins that I'm inspired by the word of God over duty-filled study. That I commune with God through prayer over giving God my to-do list every day. That I desire for righteousness over my own natural instincts. That I'm sold out to obedience over doing things my way. That I have a grace-filled mindset instead of unleashing my inner Pharisee. That I long for God's activity in my life over being content with the status quo that I am done with spiritual pretenses and I want to be into the real deal in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we long for. That's what I long for in my life. That's what I want our church to be marked by. Not this holier than thou, we got it all right. If you don't agree with me, you're wrong. That's not it. It's a before Jesus, God, just fill my heart with the things of you. Renew within me a spirit of, of adoration and joy. Renew within me a, a spirit that loves you and longs for you and walks with you even when it's difficult and even when it's hard. And even when it's against everything that my natural self says, I'm going to choose Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit instead. That, my friends, is true religion. Doesn't even matter that you came here on time this morning, unfortunately. Doesn't matter you just patiently sat through 45 minutes of a sermon. Doesn't even matter that you sang with all your heart today. It does matter, but only if it's on the inside too. <laughs> only if your heart's in the right place. Only if you're truly loving Jesus.
and truly delighted to be in his presence and truly eager to hear a word from God today rather than just have my soul pacified. Heart matters. True religion. Inside before outside. Maybe instead of overselling and underdelivering, maybe we do this, maybe we undersell and overdeliver. As my heart is being changed day by day for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, we love you. God, we're thankful for those times we come to church and we are just so encouraged by the word and it just gives us the inspiration to go another day and there's so much hope, there's so much promise. God, we're also thankful for the times we come to church and man, it is not what we expected, but God, it just penetrates to the depths of my soul. Thank you for these days, oh God. It means you're at work in me. It means that you long for something greater for me. It means you haven't given up on me yet. Father, I pray today for every person in this auditorium, including myself. Father, the words of your word simply penetrate the very reality of our beings. And God, may we not walk out of here somehow thinking this was for somebody else and not for me. This was for me today, God. We know it. We feel it. We've experienced today, God, the full reality of the power of your word through the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, I pray today you'd not let one person walk out of here unfazed, hearts unchecked, giving myself the benefit of the doubt without allowing the Spirit to really take root with all the words of your word. God, would you do deep work in us? Would you cause our Pharisee to be left at the door today? Would we run from our sinful selves? We leave our masks behind. May we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And may we be satisfied and content and confirmed in the reality of your presence. Work, O oh God, in us. Purify our hearts. For it says in your word, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. May we see God today in Jesus' name.